welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the UK and Ireland, brought to you by Insurance Business. This episode is presented in partnership with Travellers. In the latest episode of IB Talk, two industry experts from Travellers Europe join us to address many of the current challenges underwriters in the financial industry are facing and what they need to consider as the market evolves. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. My name is Mia Wallace, Senior Editor of Insurance at Insurance Business, and today we'll be discussing underwriting considerations for financial institutions underwriters in the current economic environment. And who better to get to grips with this topic than not one, but two financial institutions insurance stores. So I'm delighted to be joined here today by Chris Unwin, Director at Travellers Europe, and Sam Meehan, Development Underwriter at Travellers Europe. Thanks to you both for joining me here today. Thanks, Mia. It's great to speak to you today. Uh, so I'm Chris Unwin, uh, Director in the Financial Institutions team at Travellers Europe. Uh, so I joined Travellers in lockdown at the start of 2021, and I'm based in the Manchester office. And I'm focused on underwriting in our core space of asset managers, banks, and insurance companies. Fantastic. And yourself, Sam? Oh, yeah, thanks, Mia. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, so I'm a development underwriter within the UK and Irish team. Uh, I'm based in Dublin, so I work across both the Irish and London markets, uh, and that's across all sectors within the financial institution space. Well, it's brilliant to welcome you both here today and to get to grips with one of the really big questions on the minds of financial institutions, brokers everywhere, about what are some of the core issues currently facing the banking industry and Chris, from your perspective, what are some of the issues currently facing the banking industry in the US? I think one of the really interesting things about working in the FI market is that there's always different economic challenges to consider. And that's especially true in the banking sector at the moment. So in the space of a few days at the start of March, we saw Silicon Valley Bank collapse after a run on the bank. We saw regulators step in to close Signature Bank and to protect deposit holders. We also saw Silvergate Capital announce that it was winding down operations and entering into liquidation. And I think for me, one of the most high profile seemed to be Silicon Valley Bank, which was also operating in the UK. So this was a bank that was heavily focused on the needs of startups and the tech industry. And analysts had been concerned that the bank was heavily concentrated in the tech sector. So it's particularly vulnerable to shocks from that sector. As we saw in the news recently, it collapsed eventually as a result of a run on the bank. And that triggered some shockwaves in the banking world that we haven't really seen since 2008. Now, I think it's hard to point to a single reason for its failure, but one factor was definitely the management. There was a lot of criticism that was made over the management of the firm. So red flags had been raised as early as 2019 by the regulators. And they'd expressed concern that it didn't hold enough cash to meet deposit requests. There were also concerns over modeling that the bank was using to assess impact of interest rate rises. Now, the bank had benefited from a decade of near zero interest rate and huge deposit inflows from the tech sector. So they'd invested heavily in long-dated fixed-rate government bonds. And as interest rates sharply rose, the value of those bonds fell, which weakened the balance sheet and impacted profitability. At the same time, funding for startups was reducing, so clients started to withdraw deposits. Now, SVB wasn't looking to sell those bonds at a loss, but was forced to when deposit requests started to build and they built up really quickly. So there's $42 billion in requests on the 8th of March and over $100 billion of withdrawals expected the next day. 
And that led to a vicious cycle of deposit requests and bond sell-offs, forcing the regulators to step in and close the bank. Now, as an underwriter, we need to consider the impact that a rapid change of interest rates would have on the business model of our insureds. So do they hold assets on their balance sheet that are sensitive to a swing in interest rates? And have they hedged any of that exposure? And what impact would a rise in interest rates have on their customer base? So in theory, higher rates attract savers. But on the flip side, that puts a strain on borrowers with increased provision for non-performing loans. But overall, it should have a positive impact on bank profitability. I think we also need to look carefully at any criticism from analysts and regulators and assess their responses to them. Uh, I also think we should say that the regulatory environment also contributed to the failure of SVB. So previous US administration rolled back some of the regulatory burden. So previously banks with more than 50 billion in assets were subject to more strenuous capital and liquidity requirements, more onerous stress testing, and the need to hold plans for a living will if they failed. So that 50 billion threshold for increased scrutiny was raised to $250 billion. And that resulted in SVB having lower supervisory requirements and lower capital and liquidity requirements. Now this coincided with a period of rapid growth for the bank. And they went from around $70 billion in assets in 2019 to over 200 billion in 2021. And deposits grew by 220% compared to an average of 26% across all US banks. So it's difficult to say whether the increased regulation would have prevented the failure of SVB, but it's fair to say that warning signs would have been raised earlier and the bank would have been more resilient as a result. And when you look at comments from the regulators around other US bank failures recently, very similar themes emerge. So one of the main comments you see is poor risk management. Banks have pursued rapid growth without developing and maintaining an adequate risk framework. Another observation they make is an over-reliance on uninsured deposits. So for example, 89% of SVB deposits were uninsured. That's less stable deposit base, which is more likely to be withdrawn if banking confidence is shaken. It's also interesting to note that the full amount of customer deposits, not just the 250K, was protected. And that might set a precedent for how to deal with bank failures in the future. Fantastic. And thank you for that overview of what's happening in the US. But I wonder, what are the issues facing European banks? So much of the focus recently has been on the US market. We've seen difficulties in Europe too, with the rescue of Credit Suisse, which was purchased by its rival UBS recently. Now, the bank had been under significant strain for some time, and regulators had been very vocal in recent years over serious failings in controls and reporting deficiencies. So when the news broke in the US surrounding their bank troubles, that prompted a huge sell-off in banking stocks, and Credit Suisse shares hit an all-time low. There were further negative headlines, so delays in reporting financials and significant customer outflows, and the biggest shareholder refused to provide further funding. Now, the Swiss National Bank tried to shore up markets with a liquidity package, but ultimately it didn't work. And a deal was announced that UBS would buy Credit Suisse. Now, I think a few points I'd raise in respect of this. So as an underwriter, we need to be conscious of the size and complexity of banks. We need to pay careful attention to conduct. So fines and penalties give you an idea of the nature of their operations. And we also need to be conscious of contagion. So events in one jurisdiction impact other markets in ways we might not have expected. I'd also note that scale doesn't automatically mean stability and rapid growth needs to be balanced with robust strengthening of risk management procedures. I think another interesting point to come from the events was the treatment of 81 bondholders. So Credit Suisse had around $17 billion of 81 bonds in issuance. Now, usually bank holders would rank higher than shareholders and shareholders are expected to take the losses first. 
In the structuring of this transaction, the bond values were wiped out, whilst equity holders received around $3 billion in UBS shares. Now, that doesn't seem to follow the usual conventions, and following this, legal challenges have been launched by bondholders who lost out. That has forced European and UK regulators to distance themselves from this decision, and they've said that they will continue to rank bondholders above shareholders. That has implications for the investment management industry, so investment funds that hold 81 bonds within their portfolio may suffer unexpected write-downs, particularly on Swiss investments. And that could lead to claims from investors if they suffer material losses from holding 81 bonds. And there could be implications on debt pricing, particularly on the 81 bonds in the future. And Sam, from your perspective, how do the US and European banking environments actually compare? The main difference here is the size and scale of each. Uh, the US has over 4,100 banking entities, where the UK has around 350. Uh, and of that 350, only about 150 of those have their head office and their main focus within the UK. Um, so just off that, the US regulator has over 25 times as many entities to oversee. Now, both do have structures in place to stimulate growth of smaller banks. Um, this is an attempt to strengthen and increase the amount of what each would respectfully label mid-tier banks. Uh, each jurisdiction is streamlined, albeit different regulatory approaches around oversight and capital requirements. Size and scale need to be considered here, but the UK has that in place with banks with assets under $20 billion, while, as Chris highlighted earlier, the US has that in place with banks with assets of up to $250 billion US dollars. Uh, government deposit guarantees. Uh, in the UK, that's 85000 uh, versus 250000 uh, Now, following recent events, uh, as discussed earlier, there has been plenty of discussion around the benefit of raising or even removing both of these guarantees. Uh, the political motivations of each current government respectfully are, I think, fair to say, in different places. Uh, the US has gone from a Trump administration with an aggressive approach to the regulatory framework to the current Biden administration who are attempting to carve back some of these changes, uh, while the UK are in a post-Brexit state where the government are attempting to prove the value of leaving the regulatory environment of the EU. This was recently demonstrated by the recommendations to loosen the capital requirements for life and general insurers, uh, and it's fair to say that banking was on the radar for similar changes. Uh, however, due to the current state of affairs, I'd say any plans of that will certainly be put on hold. A pleasing similarity between the UK and US, certainly in recent times, is that both regulators have shown that they can respond and act quickly to a distressed affair. Locally, the fast-tracked approval for HSBC's purchase on SBB, and in the States, the First Republic bailout by JP Morgan, which is already America's largest bank, and under normal circumstances, the sale would not have been approved as it would exceed the regulator's threshold of no bank holding more than 10% of US total deposits. Thank you, Sam. And you and Chris have both touched on several of the key issues affecting the banking industry, but I question what impact inflation and rising interest rates are having on other financial institutions, such as asset managers and insurance companies. Yes, sure. Thanks, Mia. Uh, first, to touch on insurance companies, a couple of key points, uh, their investment performance. Now, factoring in specific investment approaches, it's a fair presumption to make that higher interest rates should lead to a better return on investment. And the negative here being claims inflation or claims expenses. Now, this will impact all lines of insurance, some more quickly and easily identified than others. Property claims, as an example, have almost immediately been materially impacted. Uh, in the UK, we experienced an unprecedented increase in construction materials inflation, which peaked at 26% in June last year. Now, long tail lines might not move as quickly as this, but certainly things like solicitors' fees, impacting defence costs, and settlements will impact claims inflation. 
Now, asset managers, inflation and interest rate increases are going to have a material impact on every strategy that we review and write. And this will be a compounded issue when leverage has been adopted. Uh, but I'll just touch on a few that we do commonly deal with. Now, private equity, uh, in terms of volume, we haven't seen the level of activity of last year, which was at record highs. The first quarter of this year saw the value of M&A deals drop by 45% when compared to year on year. Now, 2023 had already started slow, but the banking crisis did compound this. Uh, of the PE risks that I'm seeing with respect to exits and sales, I have noticed an increase in trade buyers as opposed to financial buyers. This may be due to increased interest rates amongst other macro issues. And at a portfolio company level, the knock-on of these issues could also lead to an increase in insolvencies, which is of concern. Credit funds with respect to new transactions, similar to the impact on banks, higher returns, but potentially higher defaults. Alternatively, there may be funds dominated by old transactions at lower interest rates that now face underperformance issues. This could lead to an increase in redemptions and issues from that. And real estate funds been another obvious strategy affected. Uh, we're always conscious of LTV ratios and refinance and underwriting these. That's now materially heightened. Thanks for that, Sam. And Chris, considering the current FI market conditions, what are some of the key underwriting considerations that need to be taken into account at this time? So I think we need to recognise the really challenging economic conditions at the moment. So we're still feeling the effects of a global pandemic, which put huge strain on public finances and caused a restriction in labour supply. So we had the Great Resignation, where many people left the workforce or retired early. And there are record numbers of long-term sick in the UK. There's the continued escalation of the war in Ukraine, which has had an effect on supply of raw materials and energy, and a significant strain on consumer finances. So in April, CPI was at 8.7%, but food inflation was around 20%. And that's put a significant squeeze on living standards, with wages struggling to keep up with inflation. So the ONS estimates that half of adults are buying less food in their weekly shop and one in three is cutting back on non-essential journeys. And the FCA estimates that three quarters of a million households are at risk of mortgage default. So in that context, consumer confidence is likely to be low. Deposits are likely to be unstable. Credit quality is likely to deteriorate and there's a risk of an increase in non-performing loans. I think we need to look carefully at how banks are treating their customers. So many are facing financial difficulties. Um, so how do they treat their customers who are struggling to keep up with loans and mortgage repayments. I also think we need to be conscious of the speed at which events can develop. So SVB was the first major digital run on a bank. Regulators cited social media as a contributing factor and news spreads really quickly. So for example, over $140 billion in deposit requests were received over two days at SVB, which is unsustainable. And deposits can be moved really quickly. So you can do it from your phone anywhere in the world without needing to queue around the block for a cashier. I also think we need to be conscious of the speed and pace of regulatory action. So regulators took swift and decisive action. Two banks the size of UBS and Credit Suisse were merged in a small space of time. Mergers are difficult to complete successfully. There's significant challenges for a bank to overcome. Now, I think underwriters need to keep abreast of regulatory changes and assess the impact these will have on a financial institution. We need to assess the board and governance framework to ensure the caliber and experience of the management is sufficient to navigate the changing regulatory environment. And we also need to note that multi-jurisdictional banks increase the complexity of regulatory oversight. And there's increased scrutiny of management actions, which can lead to investigations into actions of directors. And I think for us, it's important to meet clients face-to-face -face and get a sense of the culture of the firm. And where a firm is proactive, that gives us more comfort that they can navigate the complex regulatory framework. 
I'd also note that certainly in the UK, there's been efforts to increase competition in the banking space, but there may be additional challenges for smaller banking institutions. So we may see a flight to quality with customers moving their business to larger and more resilient institutions. Fantastic. And from the insights you've both offered, you can see that this is a really tumultuous time for the market. So how has Travellers Europe placed itself in a position of strength to help support brokers and clients? Maybe starting with you there, Sam. Thanks, Mia. Uh, look, one of the main reasons I enjoy working here is that we have a complementary skill set within the team uh, as a result of a mix of backgrounds and experience. Chris here being one with over 10 years experience within the FI market. We have a banking background, a legal and claims background, uh, and myself and Wallet, who's managing director of FI at Travellers, have extensive broking backgrounds. Uh, so I believe that from our client's perspective, they do have access to a wide range of expertise within our team. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm based in Dublin. Uh, Chris here is in Manchester. We have another team member based in Glasgow. So outside of our London presence, we do truly have a regional representation with, within the UK and Ireland. And I'd say we take time to review each risk on its individual merits. We can provide bespoke coverage based on client requirements. And when things do go wrong, we've got an expert in-house claims team with legal backgrounds to help our clients through the process of making a claim. And I think the final point that I would make is our financial strength. Travelers was founded in 1864 and has a long history behind it. We pride ourselves on resilience and a solid financial base. And despite the significant disruption in the financial markets, our investment portfolio, capital position and liquidity remain very strong. Thanks for that, Chris. And for brokers looking to find out more, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, yep, we'll have a, a contact sheet just on the link below here. Uh, all of us are approachable and all of us are open to business. Fantastic to hear. And thank you so much, Chris and Sam, for such a cogent analysis of what's happening in the FI insurance space during such a tumultuous period. It has been very appreciated. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. And thanks also to everybody for tuning in. And I look forward to welcoming you next time here on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. For more from the team at Travellers, visit them at travellers.co.uk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on all major listening channels.